expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Here we are once again, episode 124 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where we kind of wish that the Olympics would have been moved to Dagobah. Even though that the water might taste like X-Wing, it's probably still a little bit safer. I think you may have a better chance of them doing better on tattooing than Dagobah, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, a lot of open desert, plenty of places to play beach volleyball. I mean, you just got to watch out for those stormtroopers. I'm James with them alongside... The Mergwam Nick Patel. Can you imagine Jawas and like the little volleyball outfits that they're wearing for beach volleyball this year? That would be adorable, actually. <laughs> It'd be, <laughs> be quite a sight. We'll say that for Although example. we finally find out what was under the hood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he could play hoods with beach volleyball. I think, although I think that if anybody's perfected the hood game this past week, it's Michael Phelps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, man, last week was really fun. You know, Todd, of course, Sam Humphreys from Green Lanterns, getting an insight as to what's next with that book when it came to, the course, the Hell Tower, the Red Lanterns. And, you know, it's just great to sit down with somebody who just is presented with these new characters who really haven't been given a whole lot of exposition and allows him to do such a thing and give them the exposition that they need and it's just been a great series yeah and i mean i remember when they introduced jessica cruz in the justice league run and i was like i was so intrigued by her character and how she got her ring and just her backstory and everything and to see how they've brought her to the forefront in this book with baz who's another character that just kind of Almost, I don't want to say get thrown away, but it got pushed by the wayside. You know, it's like, Hal's back, and then it's like, Baz is shoved over here kind of thing. So I'm glad that they gave these two characters their own spotlight book and somebody like Sam Humphreys that can bring their personalities out while still giving us a killer Green Lantern story. Exactly, and you know, they're doing that thing again where they have Hal Jordan and the Green Lanterns that Venditti is doing, and then you, have, of course, have the thing Humphreys is doing with Baz and Cruz, and again, the only time we saw Hal Jordan in Humphreys' book is the beginning, is the prequel issue when Hal Jordan says, you are now a team, and here's how it's going to work, mm-hmm. and then he flies off, and I like that because, again, you're, you're building on you know these two characters, and you're making their story feel not only refreshing and new, but also add a lot of intrigue. I think there's some things you can do with a Cruz and Baz book that you can't do with a Hal Jordan book. Yeah, and for him to throw them right into it against the Red Lanterns and not kind of ease them in with a lower-level villain kind of thing, even though they're inexperienced, I thought that that was great. And seeing a different side of the Red Lanterns and Atrocitus too, like we were talking about last week, it's just been really cool. So if you haven't gotten this book already, make sure you're going on and getting it. And that's going to do it for our intro. We'll come up next. We have what we're reading of two new books this week. Find out what they are coming up on the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hey, what's up? This is writer Sam Humphreys, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, everybody, where we take out our long boxes and we pick out two new comics this week. Of course, it's what we're reading. And James, I'll go first. And I believe we're both doing DC Comics this week. You know, I love Deathstroke. Oh, yeah. I love the Daniel Bonnie Deathstroke run that they recently it recently ended before Rebirth started. So I said, you know what? I'm gonna go and pick up this new Deathstroke comic book. And I gotta tell you, 
if there's a word that can describe this new series, this new Deathstroke Rebirth series, it would have to be the word grounded. It's a lot more grounded than the last one. Well, well I mean, the last one, you know, you had with Daniel and Bonnie, you had him falling into, the, you know, his tank, and there was Black Manta there, and you had, you know, the, the giant Cobra guy. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But, I mean, you just had a lot of of characters who were very... Meta human. I think it was sense. Copperhead. Was it Copperhead? Copperhead. Okay. That's, what, that's who it was, yeah. So you had Copperhead in there and everything else. And so I said, you know what? You read this, and this one, the story, again, it's a lot more grounded. Now, of course, this is written by Priest, who did the story. Carlo Pagulian did the pencils. Jason Paz did the inks. Jeremy Cox did the color. And Willie Schubert did the lettering on this. And Pretty much, this is Deathstroke, and he's in this, I want to say, it doesn't say really where he is, I want to say, like, Africa. Uh, he's, he's, he has a hit on somebody, he has to go hunt them down, I'm not going to spoil who it is, he's actually kind of a major character. But the entire time, it's kind of like, this isn't really Deathstroke, the, you know, you know of course he's the guy, the, the guy for hire, he's the assassin for hire. You know, this isn't the, if you read the Daniel and Bonnie run that ended recently, this isn't the... Thousands of bullets are being fired every panel, you know, action, action, action kind of thing. This is more grounded in a sense of this is Deathstroke kind of, I don't know, I, I want to say, I know he's an older guy, but more in a sense mature in a sense. Like there's not. So it's not know, quite, not quite young Deathstroke, not old man Deathstroke, but kind of in the middle. I mean, it's, he's, he's got white hair and stuff like that, but it, in terms of like his actions, it's what he does in his first issue. It's very not like going to, the, to a camp, guns blazing, and you have like you're throwing knives at people. It's like well, remember you know, in Injustice we had a more grounded Deathstroke in that regard too, right? And the Deathstroke in here, he's you know jumping off of things and like you know stabbing people and stuff like that. Uh, also, an angle that this story goes with that Priest takes a story. Uh, it looks at a younger Deathstroke, more like the abusive father Deathstroke in a ah, sense. Okay, and. The thing is, I understand we were trying to go with this, but the weird thing was coming off of a series where you had his, you know, you had Ravager and his other son, and then you have him, and now I guess his two other sons or something. Now I guess it's it's different. The flashbacks kind of felt a little bit out of place because it, I understand they were trying to build in the story and a sense of, you know. There's a line in here that he says where, you know, he's like, I sacrificed my sons when I put on this mask or pretty much when he took his first job in a sense, just to paraphrase. But really, it's just like, you know, he, it, it, I just didn't get that badass Deathstroke feel, whether it be through the flashbacks or, or even in the present uh, that I did with the last series. And I hate, you know, comparing it constantly to that series, but that series just stood out. So much. Well, and it's still fresh, too. It's not like there was that big of a gap right. between that and this new Deathstroke series, either. I look at this comic, and it's not bad, but it's one of these things where it has to pick up over the next couple of issues. Like, we have to... There has to be kind of more at stake, because now it's kind of like he's becoming more of a protector, really, in this uh, comic, really. This is a more protective Deathstroke. And again, I'm not going to get into the reason how he becomes more of a protector, because that, in the fact, would be a huge spoiler in the comic uh but for me again it, it, i felt that if this was released more i think in the fall and you gave that nice separation between the two series i think that it would it would be a lot more 
easy for me to accept in a sense, just, yeah. you know, walk into easier. So for me, it's not a bad book. It's just, like I said, I think that if there was a better gap, it would serve a, because the leaving of the prior series is just still there. So I'm giving this a pickup. I mean, that seems fair based on what you said because it's, it's, it's still a little new and it's a little bit of a 180 from what the other series was. So I think that's a fair rating. Yeah. Yeah. So, sir, you also did... DC this week, but you did more of the masked crusader in the sense of Gotham. This well, week. I couldn't not do this book when I saw that it was coming out. I know I did DC last week and we talked to Sam Humphreys. There's just so much stuff going on with rebirth right now. And when all-star Batman comes out, you don't not talk about it, especially when we're talking about the great Scott Snyder, of course, writing it. John Romita Jr. doing the pencils. Danny Meeky, who's no stranger to the last few issues of the last Batman run. going to be doing the inks. Dean White doing the colors and Steve Wands doing the letters. First, I'd like to thank DC for having a bunch of names I can pronounce and get right. <laughs> Appreciate that, making me look good. Um, no, basically, you want to talk about 180s, I would say All-Star Batman is a kind of a 180 from the run that's going on right now with Tom King and even the, the stuff that's going on with uh, Detective Comics. Now, there are references to stuff that have been referenced in those books too like duke being the robin not robin kind of thing right you get a little bit of a story at the end about that but this is not a spoiler by the way because it's on one of the variant covers and you should kind of know this this story is based kind of around two-face yeah so basically you see a lot of action but it's not the kind of action that you would usually expect from a batman book because it's kind of the script's been flipped on him a little bit, and I won't say why or how or anything, because that's the biggest spoiler of the entire book, so I'm not going to spoil that, but let's just say that that's something that, that Batman can usually trust in, he's not able to trust in in this book, so it puts him in a vulnerable position than you would normally find. The only thing that is kind of a detriment to this book is there are flashbacks, like you were talking about in your book as well, and it's and it certainly... Uh, plays a role in this, and it certainly needs to be there. But Scott Snyder, and anybody who hasn't read Scott Snyder's, Snyder's stuff from the beginning, from where he starts, he's the king of the slow burn, okay? Scott Snyder will give you a lot of background before he punches you in the face and shows you exactly where this book is going to go. Now, you get that at the end of this issue, too, so you don't have to wait long. You understand where this is going to go right away. But it's definitely a slow burn for sure. Well, exactly. And also, if you're somebody who, you know, when you're reading a comic and you only you only want so many word bubbles on a page in terms of dialogue, there's a lot of dialogue in this. But as you progress through the book, you know, it, 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 it there's a reason for all that dialogue. You know, it's not just oh, yeah. it's not just filler, which is great. Yeah, and that's the other thing with Scott, too, is that he makes everything make sense. It might take a little longer for you to read it than another than you would another comic, but there's also a, uh, a little story about the interaction between Duke and Batman. You know, like in the Power Rangers story, how Steve Orlando had that little tag on Bulk and Skull story right. towards the end? Well, they have kind of one of those that deals with their relationship as well. So, I mean, it's, it's cool to get that at the end, but I got to tell you, man, this, the the kicker at the end of this story, the big reveal at the end, my jaw hit the floor. Yeah. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. And that, that alone, even if the rest of the book wasn't any good, which it was, that alone would have made me pick up the next issue. Because this was the biggest, 
one of the biggest swerves in the, in a bat book in a long time. Oh yeah, and you get to that ending and what that ending holds. And this is remember this is the number one issue, but it's more a setting up everything yep. pretty much. And when you get to that final couple of pages, it hits you hard and it draws you in. So I mean, this is just a wonderful job done by Scott and company. It, it hits you hard is a good way to to describe it. And the first thing you're gonna think is, "My God, what does this mean? Yeah, what is going on? I mean, it's just it's uh, it's that heavy. And I'll be honest, as far as the art goes cards on the table i've never been a huge fan of john ramita jr like i thought his cap i thought the art in his cap run was okay and thought some of his other stuff was okay but the stuff he does with two-face it's really good it's fantastic he puts so much great detail and his background detail is really good in this book as well not just the characters i think that that's a a pretty big improvement i know there's a lot of john ramita jr big fans i'm because if this is what it's going to be like i'm going to be a fan and I, I'm kind of already a fan now because his work here has been really, really good. I got to give him credit for that, and Danny Miki and everybody that's involved as, as well with this book. I, at first, I was like, you know, this is going to be an okay story. This might be one that I'd add to my poll. And then I was like, well, maybe it's a pickup. I got to be honest, man. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep this as a poll for now because I think that where they're gonna go with the story, and it's like an in Scott we trust kind of thing, because it was so good the last few arcs that he did with Batman. Even though Tom's is really good, and I will say I think Tom's is better, this one has a different story and a different meaning, and I kind of like where they're—I really like where they're going with it. So I'm going to put this as a poll as well, and it's going to be hard not to compare the two, even though one's a little bit deeper in the other. But uh, I think the where they're going is going to be really good with this. I couldn't agree more, man. This is going to be a really good series, and I like what both you know Scott and Tom are doing with their own respective Batman properties and comics, and. Uh, it's just, it's really, really great. It's a great time if you're a comic book fan, if you're a DC fan, or just, again, a comic book fan in general, DC's rebirth is just constantly hitting it out of the park. And speaking of DC, we're going to keep the DC train rolling with our review of Suicide Squad, the movie, come next, right here on the Down Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is comic writer Mike W. Barr, co-creator of Katana, here with the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, one of the most talked about movies of the summer, probably not for the best of reasons, was Batman vs. Superman. So DC is trying their luck again with Suicide Squad. We're going to be reviewing it this week. And Nick, like the squad themselves, I guess it's time to find out whether we're the good guys or the bad guys. Yeah, and I just want to preface this by saying, listen, whatever critics say when it comes to not just Suicide Squad, but really any movie in particular... You have to realize there are a lot of things that go into their review. For example, uh, they could have a certain bias towards one publisher or another. They could also, you know, there are also boundaries of who knows, maybe they were to have an interview with somebody and then that interview got canceled. The person they interviewed wasn't so good to them. And so that plays into it. There are a lot of factors that play into reviews, not just DC movies and Marvel movies, but any movie pretty much. And so the best thing you can do, of course, is go in to the theater yourself and watch them or do what I did and go into the theater three times, twice in one day to go watch Suicide Squad and build your own idea and your own opinion. And we want to let you know that when you're listening to this review, as you're listening to us talk about this movie, these are our opinions. We're not telling you not to go see this movie. We're not telling you to go see it. We're saying this is what we thought of the movie. Go and make your own opinion. 
And with that being said, again, I went to see us three times, twice in one day. And, well, as Joker said in the movie, desire becomes surrender, surrender becomes power. And goddamn, this movie had power over me. Yeah, it, it did over me, too. And by the way, this is going to be spoiler filled. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, maybe fast forward a little bit and go towards the nerd news realm because we're going to be spoiling a lot of stuff. And boy, is there a lot to spoil, man. I got to tell you, I was going into this movie. Of course, you can't help but see what the critics say. So right. I'm going into this movie and I want, and I was like, oh, I want to love this movie so much. And I'm watching it. And as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, I love this movie. This is so great. This is exactly what I want. And, but I kept waiting for that moment of, oh, that's why it was so, that's why everybody said it was so bad. I never got that. I loved it. I loved this movie from start to finish. I loved it because you get the opening in the beginning and you have, the, again, the soundtrack plays into it, but not... Uh, in ways you see in other films, it's just it fits a scene perfectly, and he has that kind of grim, locked up look when you first get to look at Belle Reeve. And and I just gotta say this is that when you look at this movie, I like the fact that this had something of you know people were laughing in this movie. Like yep. for example, not just the characters, but like I was in the theater packed with people all three times and people were laughing and there were parts where I found myself laughing at, you know, that I maybe not have laughed at when I saw it the first or second time, you know, and looking at this, like there were some issues, but every movie has issues. I, I'll just quickly get these out of the way. The issues to me were more of some of the editing. Uh, most of them are doing the bios felt a little bit rushed. You weren't able to see and read all the things that they had listed about the characters uh, when they were giving them, you know, that kind of little exposition on the screen. Uh, another was the villain in terms of Incubus, which is Enchantress's brother, was one of the worst CG characters I've seen in a while. But, again, I don't put much stock into that because, honestly, and people get this wrong, Enchantress was not the villain, really, in this. Nope. Amanda Waller is the right, villain in exactly. this. Amanda Think Waller. About it is the main villain in Suicide Squad. Think of how she got Deadshot to Belle Reeve, how Harley Quinn got to Belle Reeve, everybody. What uh, she did to Rick Flagg? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, how she manipulated Enchantress and Rick Flagg's relationship. And and she's like, I hope it, I as I, I hope he fell in love with her and everything else. So he's under her spell and she's under mine. So it's kind of like, again, she's such a power freak where she needs to have everybody under her thumb and you look at this book and this and in general of the comics, they nailed such a faithful adaptation of the comics. They really did. I mean, we were worried going in about, you know, what's Margot Robbie going to be like? And she's not really doing the voice. It didn't matter one bit. Margot Robbie was Harley Quinn 100%. And I might want to get this out of the way. This whole talk about romanticizing Joker and Harley's relationship and all this stuff and the merchandising that's coming out. First of all, if you're getting life lessons from Hot Topic, you're doing it wrong. Second of all, Harley Quinn is not now and has never been a role model of any kind. Yes, she's smart. Yes, she had. She was a psychologist and all this other stuff. But that doesn't mean that she's a role model. Nothing about their relationship is role model worthy either. So can we stop with the whole, oh, she's tied to Joker. She's mentally broken. She's obsessed with him. She can't live without him. And that is embedded into her brain. It's a sickness. It's not really 
a love person. You have to you have to differentiate the two. It's like it's like Stockholm syndrome and Florence Nightingale syndrome had a baby, and it was Harley Quinn. I mean, you have to understand what you're seeing. So stop saying that she's not a strong woman because she is. But that doesn't make that doesn't mean she's a role model, and we love her for it though. And the thing I want to, you know, build on you just said about their relationship, again, she is a psychotic person. She's murdered many people. She's not a role model. Like Charles Barkley, she's not a fucking role model. Right, you exactly. Know? You know, I, I, and the same thing goes with Joker. But this movie, the way that they captured Joker and her's relationship, they really did it at the honeymoon lover's quarrel kind of phase yeah. where, honestly, when you're re- when you're watching this, and you see the oath scene that he has with her when she jumps into the ace chemical vat, if you will. Uh, that, to me, provided a much more substance to this yeah. relationship than we've seen in comics in a long time. When he jumps in after her. Right. That and it was looks something. Like when it, and, my, and when you look at it, he was, looked like he was about to leave her there. And he's just like, ah, oh, I love this woman too fucking much. And so he jumps in after her and revives her. And what's funny is, is is going back to even before that, when he says, would you die for me? She says, yes. And he says, wait, 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 wait. would you live for me? Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. And, and, then, and then he goes to this whole thing of, do not recite this oath. That's when he has the whole, you know, thing with power and, and, and surrender and desire and how those things translate to one another. And I'm like, Wow. This is a very cerebral kind of gangster-esque Joker, and I'm not. And while we're on the Joker topic, I want to say this: the Joker's been around for what, James? Seventy-five years. Yep, Seventy-five. Mm-hmm. Listen, there's more than one correct way to play the Joker. In seventy-five years, there have been many iterations of the Joker, both in live action and animation, and even in comics, of course. The way Jared Leto played him, and I'm sick and tired of people comparing, oh, Heath Ledger, Jared Leto tried to do much of Heath Ledger. They're two different Jokers. Yep. Heath Ledger is the anarchist. He is the guy where you could never see him have a relationship with anybody, even Harley Quinn, because he's just too fucking deranged. Right. Whereas Jared Leto is, he is the real first time, I'm sorry, Jack Nicholson, but really this is really the first time we get to see the actual clown prince of crime. Right, because remember, Jack Nicholson was a gangster before he became the Joker. Right. But not after. It's almost like he was gangster turned anarchist in that movie. And let's face it, we haven't really had a bad Joker, per se. All of them have been very, very good in their own ways. And and all these people that are upset, oh, there wasn't enough Joker in the movie, or why they cut out all these scenes, blah, blah, blah. You know why? Because every Joker scene had purpose and meaning. I know some people totally disagree with that. Every time he showed up, it was a big-time meaning. Like, again, lots of spoilers here. When they're on the roof, they they rescue Waller, quote-unquote rescue. They're on the roof. They're waiting for evac. Gunfire. Joker. Coming to get Harley. I'm like, that is a perfect just-when-you-think-you're-safe-you're-not moment in this movie. I loved that. Every time he showed up, it had absolute meaning. That's why they cut the scenes out. And the scene where, and prior to that, where Joker is sitting with Common, and he's like, that's a bad bitch. And then you see, that's what I liked about some of the editing, is that you see Joker's face, and kind of had that like yellow hue over it, and that resembles, oh shit, Common just said something that made Joker about to snap. Because that's when he goes, she's the 
fire in my loins, the itch in my crotch. And he goes, Holly Quinn. And that's when I look at that, I'm like, Oh, Common is fucked. Yep, he's like, he a dead is man. Screwed. <laughs> and, and, and you mentioned something about the scene where he has, like, you know, these that that guard in that back room at the underground casino, and he has him kiss the ring. He's like, I can tell you meant that. And it's like, again, he goes from this serious thing to unhinged. Okay, is he like my friend now? Like, I don't know. Like. The way Leto played him was really different. It was really, really interesting. It was the most manic Joker I think we've ever had because you did not know Where he was what go. version you were going to get and who, which guy was going to enter that room and what he was going to do. So, And Joker was not the main villain of this movie either. Let's keep that in mind, too. There, And this movie wasn't even about the villain. It was no. about the coming together of this suicide squad and how they melded and how they changed and evolved over the movie from, you know, wanting to escape to wanting to kill Rick Flagg to wanting to kill Waller to saying, screw it, let's save the world kind of thing. Right, and again, Will Smith as Deadshot nailed this. I mean, he was really, yeah. really great as Floyd. And, the, you know, when you see him, and I just gotta say that they gave him a lot of scenes where he was allowed to be a true badass, like the scene where he's shooting all those monsters on top of the car, and everybody just stand there in amusement. And that was again felt like a reflection of the audience was when you're first seeing him exactly mow down at everybody, and you're like, oh shit! And then he goes to flag. He's like, that's how I cut and run. It's like you felt that Will Smith throughout the entire movie, his character Deadshot had something to prove, and it was yep. real, and it wasn't just oh he has a eleventh year old honor student it was he wants to show that as he said in the movie my that her daddy is not a piece of shit right exactly and i mean it's like the constant looking for redemption right throughout the entire movie and that's what the deadshot character is about and sure there's more badass versions of deadshot in the comics where he's just completely ruthless and then there's other versions like the will smith version where he's a little more lighthearted and he cracks a few jokes here and there but he's still the serious guy and that's the one that will smith was always going to play it's almost like you didn't expect him to be you expected him to be good, but you didn't expect him to be perfect as Deadshot, and he really, really was. And, like, when Flag gives him the letters, this is one thing that Will Smith does really well. Well, I've always loved Will Smith. And the scene where Flag gives him the letters, and it's like you had these the whole time, Will Smith can flip that switch oh, yeah. to go to that angry, emotional spot. But then 15 minutes later... He's back to being himself again. It's just an amazing... That was an amazing scene for me. And the fact that it just shows you the depth of character, not just that Will Smith can play, but in Deadshot himself. And also the chemistry that this group had, you really felt, especially between Deadshot and Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just from the scene where they're getting suited up and, you know, she's talking about, like, you have too much junk in the trunk, which had the entire theater laughing. Yep. You know, and, uh, this, again, the scene where it's just the dialogue with them when they're in the office building and he puts the mask on, she calls him a pussy, and he's like, yep. I will knock your ass out. I don't care if you're a woman. And, again, everybody in the theater was laughing. And, of course, you had characters like Killer Croc where people were like, well, how come he wasn't much in it? Well, Killer Croc was never really a main fact. Remember, King Shark yeah. was mostly in the Suicide Squad, and the reason why they put Killer Croc in said King Shark was because David Ayer said, I don't want a character that's fully CG which based on the squad. On, which, based on the brother, was probably a good call. Right, and also, you look at Killer Croc, that scene where they have to put the charge in the subway and it's flooded, that felt more better when you have a crocodile or a man that is like, 
scaly as a crocodile go into this you know sewer esque system. Then you have a shark. You know what right. I'm saying? Plus, he's smaller too, so it makes right. more sense that he'd be able to fit in that space too. So that made a lot more sense. But did we find finally find the role that Jai Courtney was born to play, or what? Right. You, you give him. You make him an Australian person you can say jai use your actual australian accent and throw boomerangs around and you are captain boomerang he was amazing as captain boomerang i loved it, it i loved it too and the guy that's kind of always looking for a place to hide that only yeah. gets involved in the action when he wants to kind of thing that's a little bit off the wall this is just this is what we've been waiting for from jai courtney people criticize jai courtney for pretty much every role he's ever played. Right. guess what this is the one. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is what he was supposed to do because I thought he was hilarious. Like the whole t- the scene with Diablo when Diablo shows his fire, he's like, "Ooh, look, 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 look!" And he pulls out the lighter. He says, "Ooh, fire!" Ooh, I'm like, "Yep, that's it right there." <laughs> <laughs> and also, one thing about Captain Boomerang is, of course, he's part of the Rogues with the Flash. So we really got to see the Flash in action. And again, really quickly, Ezra Miller is in this, and you see him. As the Flash, he takes down Captain Boomerang. Did you just say we got to see the Flash really quickly? Yeah, I did. (laughs) You've corrupted my mind, and I'm just fucking rolling with it from now on. But you look at that scene, again, you're saying to yourself, Ezra Miller is going to be a really great Barry Allen, a really great Flash. And his suit, when you see it in action, it's not a big deal. No, it's not at all. I mean, I, th- I think the suit looks fine, and you barely notice the differences when it's in action, especially with the lighting and stuff. You barely notice the differences. But keeping keeping from t- taking these characters one by one, right? it's like you look at each character. Not only did they get the casting right, I think, for everybody, but they gave everybody a purpose. They gave everybody a moment, right. it seemed like. You know right. what I mean? And Diablo had one of the most powerful moments you want to talk about this movie. Because I saw this movie, as you said earlier, as a redemption story for all these characters. Outside, of course, the Joker, really. But you look at all these characters, and Diablo had that thing where he went full on Diablo, and he was the reason why the brother was defeated. And again, for people saying, well, they made Harley this over-sexualized being... Harley is the reason why they save the day and stop Enchantress. Right, exactly. She, she uses her manipulative, deceitful language and the way she talks and grabs Katana's sword and cuts open Enchantress's chest and rips her heart out. And let's talk about Enchantress for a second. Two people say, oh, she wasn't a strong villain. She, she was the shit sword out of fighting, her. beating the shit out of everybody by herself once her brother went down teleporting all over the place and just kicking everybody's ass and throwing them all over the place. What more do you want from Enchantress? I thought she did a damn good job. And I mean, what Cara Delevingne, we're talking about this last night. Cara Delevingne had what? 12 lines in the entire movie. Maybe right. Right. 12 lines that were put through some sort of like voice synthesizer, you know? So what was wrong with her? I thought she was a great villain. If you want to call her that she wasn't the main villain, but she was a great villain. Right, exactly. And when you can hold your own in a sword fight against Katana, you're pretty badass as a villain. Not to mention, you've got Deadshot there, you've got Killer Croc, right. who eventually showed up there. you got all these different badass villains that you're fighting, and you're taking them all out by yourself. Right, and again, going to the point of Amanda Waller is really the true head-on main villainess, again, because remember, when they're heading into Midway City, 
the whole mission is to, as we then find out, is to rescue Amanda Waller. Right. The only person that really pays attention to what's going on with Enchantress is Harley when they're in the helicopter. She's like, is everybody else seeing this? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's just one of those things where their mission didn't become the Enchantress until Waller went down and stuff like that in the helicopter. Right. The entire mission was to extract Amanda right. Waller. So when she right. walks out and they're like, are you shitting me? That this is, we risked our lives for this kind of thing. And then Waller pulls classic Waller and kills everyone kind of thing. So, I mean, think about, again, one thing that gets kind of lost in all this is that she manipulates the entire United States government. Yes. To get what she wants. Yeah. Which is Task Force X, her little plaything that she can use. I mean, are you kidding me? And How she, is she not the main villain? And she does it in the most dangerous way by having Dr. June Moon say, unleash the Enchantress in the, in the situation room. Right, right in the situation the Pentagon, room. Yeah. And, and have, you know, go get these plans from Iran and that's how she does it. But it's like you got to see that what she did was she allowed a witch, a legit 6,000 plus year old witch to be part of a meeting and yep. unleash her powers per se. And it's just, oh my God. It's and, incredible, and, man. And the thing that this movie does really well, David Ayer did really well as a writer and again with the actors is that everybody had a personal connection with somebody else. For example, Harley and Joker, June Moon and Rick Flagg and even Deadshot and his daughter you felt was real and it held, had really, really great substance to it. Even the relationship between Captain Boomerang and Katana, which is like that annoying love interest type thing. Right. I dig that too. I thought that that was funny. They didn't focus on it a lot, which I think was the smart thing to do, but it was, it was funny. And even Diablo and his family, what happened there, they gave a nice focus on that. So like you said, everybody had their relationship and everybody had that thing that they needed to be redeemed for. Exactly. Now, before we give our ratings real quick, uh, the ending, when Joker frees Harley, we talked talked about this off air the other day, but do you think that this is going to, her release is going to tie into Justice League at all? Or do you think they're waiting to save it for the Harley Quinn movie? And I believe it's going to be 2018 is going to be released. I think we'll get it saved until Harley Quinn or even the Batman movie, depending on what they want to do, probably more likely Harley Quinn. But keep in mind that people are saying, well, you know, why isn't she going to leave the Joker? Remember, in the comics, she there is a breakup there eventually. And will we see the fissure in this in their relationship start in a Harley Quinn movie? And then Joker then becomes the antagonist for the Harley Quinn movie. Because that could they could break. It's just a matter of how and where. And you don't cast somebody like Jared Leto as the Joker unless you're going to be using him again in some capacity. So it's either going to be in Batman or Harley Quinn. So... I think probably more likely in the Harley Quinn movie, and I think that we'll introduce Poison Ivy in there at some point too, and maybe that's what starts to cause the rift between Joker and Harley Quinn because she's got a best bestie now, and she's starting to spend more time with her, and maybe there's a kind of of, of something going on there. I'm not saying I know what's going to happen, but you know there are options for this movie, and that certainly could be one of them, especially if you've read the new Harley Quinn series that was out in the New 52. Exactly, and of course there's the mid credit sequence, which is pretty much just Waller giving Bruce Wayne the whole binder that has his ability, so he has the, all the information he has so we can go find Arthur Curry and Barry Allen yep. and form the Justice League, pretty much. So, uh, And also, she lent to the thing of knowing that, hey, she knows he's Batman. 
Because she's Amanda Waller, and that's just what she does. I mean, I mean, exactly. If you're giving people that don't know a lot about these characters a nice little insight into who they are, that's Amanda Waller, and they, that's that's a picture that they painted pretty well in this movie. I and think. a really quick thing I want to talk about too is the editing. There have been people who who have said, "Well, the editing is not great." Well, the editing I felt reflected the crazy mindset of everybody in this film. Right. And, and, and it had a certain bit of being disjointed in a little bit into the fact that I thought it was beneficial because, again, these are not the most sanest of minds here in this movie. Plus, you never, again, it, you never know what, what any of them are going to do. That's why they've got bombs in their heads in the first place. You never know what they're going to do, where they're going to be. If this was a smoothly edited movie, I don't think it would have worked. Like you said, it had to be all over the place because you know what the story of the suicide squad pretty much from the beginning has been all over the place <laughs> right it's right and going back to the things that the nanites in their in their heads i mean slipknot we knew you knew yeah. he was going to be the one that they were yeah. going to show hey these aren't things you play around and of course in the comics it's his arm that gets blown up but not his head but it works in this so yeah, without, you gotta make a point right so without further ado plus i mean you gotta admit when Rick Flagg says, here's Slipknot, the man who can climb anything, even even Rick Flagg was like, why the fuck is this guy here? During the casting, we were all like, really, Slipknot? And then you're like, okay, never mind, I figured it out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but let's give our, our ratings, man. Since you're you know a big Suicide Squad fan, especially a big Harley fan, what, is, what would you give this movie? I just... The, what I do when I go to movies, I try to see if I... Have I been entertained? Was there good action if it was supposed to be an action movie? And did it do justice to the characters that are being told if they're adapted? And was it a good story? All the boxes for me were checked. It was fun. The action was really, really good. I don't get caught up on the whole CG thing. It doesn't really bother me that much. I do agree that it was a little, you know, it was a little eh on that guy. But, I mean, it's just every box was checked for me. Harley, perfect. I kind of knew... That she would be, I knew Margot Robbie would be, but you don't know until you see it on the screen for yourself. Deadshot, Will Smith, perfect. I never had any doubts about about Will Smith as Deadshot. And just everybody on down the line, the characters that we were given, we got just enough fun, plenty of action, and we got a reason why Justice League is going to kick off where it is and how they find everybody. There's just a tiny, that tiny little mid-credit sequence kind of starts to tell you, okay, DC is lining things up now, and it looks like we have hope overall for the DC Cinematic Universe. So I kind of went back and forth on what rating I was going to give, and I cannot stop myself from giving this 10 puddings out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fantastic. And I like what you said about how this movie, despite what people say, because even Warner Brothers has come out this week and said, you know what? Fuck the critics. They literally came out and said, fuck the critics. Pretty much, yeah. This was, this was for the fans. And we and they're happy with how you know fans are, are liking this movie. And I like that. I like that they pretty much just said, you know what, critics? Listen, your job is to criticize. We're not going to give a shit as to what the fuck you say with our movie. Our, the fans are loving it. And it's a big rebound, I think, from Batman vs. Superman. As I mentioned, I saw this movie, Suicide Squad, three times, twice on Monday. Point of reference, by the way, one of the biggest Deadpool fans ever. I saw, I saw Deadpool twice. I okay? saw Deadpool twice. Let's just put theater. that out there. 
And a big part of that, I'm not going to lie, was Jared Leto's Joker. I don't get how some people – listen, I understand your opinion. But again, when you realize that this is a different way of him being played and portrayed, you know, you can't get caught up in past renditions of the Joker. Uh, everybody was cast really, really well. The story, I felt, was good. I liked how this went from here's your mission to this is a story of redemption and so on and so forth. Every character, there was never a character that was on screen where I'm like, oh, God, we, this character again. Where, you know, when Killer Croc was on screen, I liked it. When Harley was on screen, I liked it. When Katana was on screen, I loved it. Everybody had a great gesture and a great feeling when they were on screen and they commanded it well and especially with their backgrounds and their stories uh i really hope i think we are gonna get a suicide squad too and again this is a movie that i think going into it no matter what because it was the movie that was in the middle of you know shooting when the whole band versus superman stuff went down with everybody getting fired and jeff johns taking over this was the one movie i was gonna be like okay this one's probably gonna get a lot of criticism because it's the one that's kind of stuck in the middle of a transition in terms of where DC wants to go with their movies. And again, I saw this three times. I bought the Deadshot hat. I bought the, the, a bunch of pop figures for this movie. I love this movie. This is 10 out of 10 texts from Joker. I can't remember the last time that we got two 10 out of 10 ratings. I know. Maybe it was Deadpool. I, I think, think it was Deadpool. Deadpool. was the last time. So it's, so it's been since February, basically. Yeah, Since we had a, another ten out of ten. But man, go see this movie. Don't listen to what anybody else says. That's why we're here. We're forming our own opinions. We hope that you'll go see Suicide Squad and form yours. Exactly, and that's going to do it for our review of Suicide Squad, the movie. But come up next, we have a bunch of nerd news, and boy, oh boy, there's a lot of things coming your way here in the Don Nerdy Podcast. Hey everyone, this is DB Woodside from Lucifer on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, time to put down the remote and see what's streaming all over the internet because it's time for what? Nerd, Nerd news! news! And of course, what's streaming, of course, on CBS is going to be Star Trek Discovery. We've got a lot of information from that show. Oh, we discovered a lot because this was the TCA and CBS revealed some of the details. There's so much of it. The first one that I think is the most important, it's going to be set in the Prime Universe. That means it's not going to be tied to the J.J. Abrams reboot, the Abrams-verse, if you will. As a matter of fact, um, it's about a decade before the five-year mission with Captain Kirk. Yeah, and that's, a, and that's great. It's, it's in a period of time where, again, you're not touching on Kirk or anything like that with Enterprise. You're, you're making this its own entity, and you're setting it up prior to that, which I think is a great idea. Yeah, Kirk's been touched on enough. I think that's that's for certain. In more ways than one. Anybody that's watched on. the original series, that's, I mean, that's that's kind of all you need to know. Again, more ways than one. He's been touched upon. Right, touched exactly. On. Uh, also, the show, of course, is going to have uh, a bunch of lead characters. I believe it, was, it says it's going to have like seven lead characters. Uh, one of them is going to be a female, and that she's actually not going to be a captain. She's actually going to be lieutenant commander. Which, I mean, I mean, who's that's somebody that could have control of the con when the captain's not there kind of thing. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's almost like a second in command type deal. So, so I think that that's pretty cool. They also said that there are going to be more, there's going to be androids on the ship. There's going to be more aliens on the, on the show and stuff like that, that are actually part of the group. So I think that's going to be interesting. There's going to be, um, a whole bunch of, there's going to be a slew of different types of characters. So I think that that that's good. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you're getting, uh, you know, a female lieutenant commander. You're going to have, they said it was going to be, I believe, an openly gay character on the show as well, too. And he even said, you know, Fuller even talked about this. He said, you know, when you look at the original, you know, Star Trek show, you know, you had an Asian, you had a Russian, you had a woman who was black, you had, you know, of course, Captain Kirk and all these different aliens and stuff like that. So if there's really a, you know, in this era that we live in now, if there's really a show and a project and a property that has a lot of diversity in it, it's Star Trek, and I think it's really, really cool to see what they're doing with that. Also, the main story is going to be driving the 13-episode uh, first season. Again, we found it's going to be 13 episodes for the first season. Uh, pretty much, they said that there's some things they're not going to be talking about. There's not going to be, you know, a Kobayashi Maru or Romulan War. There's not going to involve the Black Ops Section 31, which, of course, if you know, uh, is the Starfleet's Black Ops arm. Yep. And so pretty much it just – he he kind of kept it locked on what, what they're going to talk about this season and stuff like that and what they're going to do. Uh, but pretty much what the gist of it was, he says there was an idea from, I believe, it was the original series that they never really got to do. And so he pretty much – is now going to bring that to light. And he says there's just some things from like past series that they haven't been able to do. And now he's, he's found ways to tie him in. So I think that's going to be pretty, pretty cool because you're bringing in, remember this is a guy who used to write on star Trek right. too. So, you know, and a lot of the writers that are on the show now are written on the show on the property of star Trek. So I think that what they're doing is pretty interesting. And again, the, the, the only problem is, is that it's CBS streaming. I'm not going to put, and I mean, I'm, excited about this but i'm still not going to drop however much money is five to seven bucks to just watch yeah. one series you I know mean, it seems like there should be another caveat to being able to reach this series somehow i don't know if that's gonna actually take place or not um also i mean if you're if you're somebody that's wanting to get familiar characters uh as appearances on the show they said the first season probably not going to happen but that's not that's something they wouldn't completely rule out for future seasons, but you've got to get to those future seasons. And I think your point is a valid one. I think CBS is banking on people like you, quite frankly, that are cord cutters saying, well, I want to be able to get CBS and I want to be able to get it in real time and I want access to their archives. So I'll just get CBS all active. See, because people, people are trying to use the Netflix model where Netflix has so many great original shows that it almost doesn't matter what else is on there anymore. So I think right. CBS wants to try and do that model and start with See, a property like Star Trek, but I don't think they're there yet. I think they're banking on it too soon. I think that – I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent about this, but I think that the thing with CBS and their all-access thing is these networks have to realize – like I understand C, you know, we talked about a while back CW going to Netflix now and leaving Hulu – is that these channels – they run better when they're under one general hub, like a Netflix or a Hulu, because you give you're giving your your viewers all this access to your shows and stuff like that for a good price. Whereas again, if you're having to shell out seven bucks for each channel and you have like five different channels, you know, you're spending could spend up to you know, more, if not the same, for a regular cable package, you know? Right, and that was my point about cord cutting in the first place, is that everybody wants a la carte channels until you realize how much it's going to cost right. you to give channels you have. And, I mean, you got to keep this in mind, too. Yeah, there's going to be other shows other than Star Trek, but at the same time, that means, the, you know, you could drive prices up the more, more more shows that you have, too. Plus, by the way, folks, a really good over-the-air antenna costs 50 bucks out of pocket one time and then you've got free you got free over the air tv so you can get your live tv that way as well exactly man and then moving on staying in the hulu streaming route they hulu actually announced that they're gonna be 
having their own kind of documentary thing called uh, Limelight. And a couple of the documentaries that they talked about were one dealed with Batman, another deal with James Bond. Let's dive into the Batman one first. I believe it's going to be titled Bill and Batman. It's going to be following Bill Finger. And, his, of course, you know, he was one of the co-creators of Batman. And he also, they said that this documentary is going to be focused more on not really his life, but more on the fact of how his being unknown yeah. in a sense of like when you see like a Batman TV show or a Batman toy or whatever, you know, you never really saw that based on the character by Bill Finger and stuff like that. So they're saying that this is going to be focused more on that and his kind of his name rising into people knowing who he is and stuff like that, which I think is a very interesting take. I like that. It's not just going to be, he was born in 19, whatever, you know, and this and that, you know, it says, no, he was probably going to highlight on that a little bit, but for the most part, it's going to be focused on, Hey, this is a guy who helped create Batman and he is finally, you know, years and years and years later, decades and decades later, is finally getting the recognition that he deserved. It's just funny to me that somebody that can co-create such an iconic character can go almost unnoticed for so long. And I mean, right. I wonder if anybody ever said, you know, why doesn't he get more credit? And somebody, and the answer was, well, I just can't quite put my finger on it. Oh, God damn you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But seriously, I mean, how do you co-create Batman? And then people go, oh, Bob Kane. Well, didn't anybody else help? Right. <laughs> you right. Know? I mean, come on. Usually when there's a character that's created, you have a writer and an artist. You know, right. just like with Deadpool, Rob Liefeld, Fabian, Fabian Niciesa, Niciesa. Uh Batman, Bob Kane, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I am glad that we're going to get, uh, you know, maybe we'll find out the reasons behind that or what happened. And maybe this was his choice. Who knows? So I'm glad that we're going to get a little bit deeper of a uh, explanation into this and i hope that we get more stuff like this i mean even the james bond one that should be really interesting i wonder if they open the movie with bill finger <laughs> he's the man the man with the baddie touch <laughs> <laughs> not robin's touch speaking of of songs that are similar to James Bond or in that James Bond tone another documentary they're going to be doing is focusing on James Bond more the George Lazenby James Bond. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting because there's so much about James Bond, I think, that we don't really know. Because yeah. There, I mean, there have been, you know, you get DVD extras and stuff like that, and, you know, you get interviews, especially the older type of Bond. There's not really, there weren't DVD extras back then. Nobody really knows a whole lot about that stuff. So well, to finally yeah. get a documentary about a Bond series that, you know, maybe not a whole lot of people have been able to get backstory on. There's, there's a documentary I watched a while back. I forgot the name of it, but I think it was something like James Bond through the years or whatever. It was a, it was a James Bond documentary, which, uh, it was, it's a long documentary, about two, almost three, probably three hours long, but it pretty much just goes through every single Bond for the most part. With Lazenby, it was more of a blip, but it was like, they spent a lot of time on Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan got a good amount of time, and then, you know, he, of course, went to the new stuff and everything else. But with Lazenby, it's one of those things where, you know, his movies, it's going to be interesting to see how they touch on those, you know, and how, because it's, it's going to be about, like, his, uh, you know, his his time on the set, you know? Yeah, and I think that, I mean, the evolution of Bond, you can see it there, and everybody have, they put their own spin on it. 
And I think I like what Hulu's doing. It's almost like they're going for, okay, who's been the forgotten one in any given situation? Bill Finger being one of them. And then Lazenby is another in a Bond franchise that has so many names. I mean, if you walk up to somebody on the street and say, who's your favorite Bond or what was your favorite Bond movie or even time period, they'll tell you. And nine times out of ten, it's going to be like Sean Connery. There's probably some people that love Pierce Brosnan's work because of the recent stuff, Daniel Craig, Roger Moore, stuff like that. But how many times are you going to hear Lazenby come out right. of somebody's mouth? Right. And, and remember, Lazenby was 29 when he was in uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service back in 1969. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those films where I think Her Majesty's Secret Service, I think it's kind of one of those films where really it's not the most known one. List your favorite Bond movies in your head right now. Right. And tell me how long it takes you to get to that one. Right. Not because it's a bad movie per se, but because... That's not; those aren't the ones you're going to think of off the top. Right, of your you know, head. you're going to think Doctor No, you're going to think Casino Royale, you're going right. to you know, Skyfall, you're going to think Goldeneye, you know, even you know Brosnan Tomorrow Never Dies and stuff like that, you know, and, and it's just it's going to be really interesting to see how they pull this off. And it's a generational thing too, so obviously that. Exactly, and of course, you know, moving on to our next story, we're diving back into the DC pool, of course, with Aquaman. And I know I just said James, so shut your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Jason Momoa, there's a couple of news stories of Jason Momoa, pertaining to Jason Momoa. Of course, the first one being DC related is the fact that we found out who he's going to be facing in the 2018 Aquaman movie. He's going to be facing up against Black Manta. And not only does this excite us, but one of our friends that we know very well is going to hopefully play Black Manta. Or at least, he, he's, at least he's He's uh, pushing for Or he's hinting. And it's D.B. Woodside, of course. We talked to him when we were talking about Lucifer. He plays Amenadiel in Lucifer. And I'm going to paraphrase the tweet that he had where he said, you know, I was trying to play Jon Stewart, D.C., but I uh, hear you're going to have Black Manta in the Aquaman movie? And I'm like, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Let D.B. Woodside play ba- Black Manta. And if you haven't watched Lucifer, first of all, you're listening to this show and you've never watched Lucifer? Right. Go do that right now after you're done listening to this. But second of all, just go to his IMDb page, look at his work, look what he's done, and try and catch him in certain things because he would be such a great Black Manta. Well, that's just that, but again, going back to Lucifer, he really, for that first half of the season, was an antagonist. And he plays oh, yeah. a damn great antagonist. You know, so I mean, you know, it, it's, it's going to be really awesome if he does land this role as Black Manta. I'm not expecting really anything in terms of cast. I know they got, you know, they cast a mirror and stuff like that. I'm not expecting really any Black Manta news. I think for, I'm thinking until winter. I think think probably closer to Justice League, we'll find out who's going to be playing Black Manta. Also, the other news pertaining to Jason Momoa deals with the Crow remake. Now, of course, the cult film that I love and hold dearly to my heart from 1994. You know, it's one of those films I look at and it's I have a list of films that just should not be remade, and The Crow for a variety of reasons should not be remade. A, it's a great movie, and B, the whole thing they had with Brandon Lee adds a layer to it of like yeah. we should not revisit this. No, you know? I don't think there's any reason to. Plus, I mean, think about it. If you're gonna cast Jason Momoa, you cast Jason Momoa for a reason, okay? Right. So if you cast him, I mean, if you're, you're picturing the look in your head, you're like, okay, yeah, I mean, he could probably pull off the look, but. What kind of a crow movie are we really going to get with Jason Momoa? But, but again, it's going to be the Eric Draven. And again, the way that, that, you know, when you look at Brandon Lee 
in, in what he did, of course, before he died on set. You know, the thing is, is that his body type matched really well. You know, Momoa, he's a, I like him, but he, I think he's really, he's a too, he's too big of a guy, I think. I, that's exactly what I'm trying him. to say, yeah. You know, and I, I just, again, the 94 film is so iconic in many different ways. You know, just, it's just a great, great film. Don't touch it. Just no. let it die. Just like, no. just like, don't, like, just, you know, don't. <laughs> It's just one of those movies again, like just for a variety of reasons that you should not touch. You know, you well, should you just know, alone. I, I feel the same way about Blade Runner, about Back to the Future. I mean, d- there's just certain things you just Blade don't Runner. Do. Well, Blade Runner scares me only because it's been so many years since the first one that I'm like, I understand they've had like a thousand different DVD cuts of it, but it's one of those things where my take is whenever, whenever if it takes more than. Like three years or four years, yeah. You know, to, for a sequel to come out, and, and I'm talking more of a sequel, like not like in a in a comic book sense, where it's like we, because you know, they have planned sequels. I'm talking more like here's a movie, it did really really well, or is a cult hit, and hey, it's been five ten years later, let's you know do another one. And it's like no, 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 you don't do that. And uh, again, just leave the the crow movie alone. But speaking of things that. Really haven't been left alone, of course, is the world of apps. You know, there are new apps that are being built every day. And, you know, one of the corporations that's come out with a new app is Evil Corp. And what are we talking about in that regard? Well, apparently, we're getting some news from GameSpot that we might get a Mr. Robot video game of some sort. And guess who's going to be doing it? The folks over at Telltale Games. Now, Nick, I know that you know the people have had experience with The Walking Dead, Telltale Games, Back to the Future, Game Fable. of Thrones, stuff like that, Fable. But you've been playing the Batman game recently. We actually touched on it on the show before. So since you've been playing the Batman game, how do you think that that would adapt to Mr. Robot? I think it would be really, really great. Now, of course, there has been talk about a console release they're saying this is mostly going to be on iOS and Android, probably going to be like a mobile game or some sort of a mobile tie-in, and then they're saying it might end up going to PC. Now, here's why I think Telltale doing this is great. Now, first of all, their art style and their games is fantastic. I yep. love it. Second of all, the way they release their games, and we're getting this new culture now, and it says we've been in for a couple of years, of episodic release. Uh, for example, the Batman game that I'm playing, Episode 1 came out, I believe it was last week, and then, of course, they haven't released Episode 2 yet. I don't think there's been a release date for it. Now I've been hearing September 6th or sometime next month. So they might do it month to month. Now, with Mr. Robot, of course, this is a game where, in terms of Telltale, where they like giving you options. Where This is a game where the, the words even say before you start the game, every choice you make changes the outcome. It changes yep. the storyline. It changes everything. So can you imagine being Elliot or being somebody in this world of Mr. Robot and choosing to be part of F Society and or or being helping out E, e- Corp and stuff like that, you know? Can you imagine the different types of choices you have? Like if you had to say, hey, we need to like hack these satellites and you know, these E Corp satellites, and then you choose not to do it, and then what happens is E Corp ends up like plummeting the entire economy because you didn't do it. And it's just again there are even going to the. I love Telltale games because there are choices I made even in the Batman game that I know are like the right decisions. But even I walk at the end of the, like at night in my apartment when my PlayStation's off, I'm like, oh god, I probably I, I probably made a bad mistake. I know I yeah you know I, even when I didn't break the guy's arm in the warehouse. I oh god I 
I think I did a bad thing. I think I, I, I said something. I picked the wrong option for Batman to say to Gordon or something. You know? It puts yeah, doubt in your mind. So, I mean, a game right. like this will really fuck with you on many different levels. And for Mr. Robot, it's absolutely perfect because there's a thousand different things you could do. I mean, even if the whole game was you as Elliot deciding whether or not to listen to Mr. Robot, you know? Yeah! You could decide to listen to him and do this or not, and something else happens. Or, I mean, you could even follow Angela. Yeah. Working at Evil Corp and saying, "Okay, do you want to corrupt these files, or do you want to send this stuff to the to the FBI or whatever, or do you want to leak this to F Society?" There's a thousand different ways that you could play this game out, and even if they don't focus on one character, you can even switch between several other characters. I mean, there's just so many ways that they could do this. It's like the ultimate choose-your-own-adventure game, but with one of the best shows that's on television right now. So. I mean, even if it is just a tie-in for the show, I'm all for doing this. I'll play this on my phone or my tablet, whatever. I love the way that Telltale does their games because they release them episodic, and it works. Because if you have Mr. Robot, you don't have to worry about, oh, no, we're going to run out of story or ideas. It's like, no, if we release one episode a month for the yeah. game, and then we let this, we'll be a whole season or a couple of seasons behind, you know, that works. You don't. You won't run into a Game of Thrones esque thing where you're like, "Oh shit, we don't have any. Uh, oh, we don't really don't have any any books to go off or any shows really. So, you know, anymore. So let's just we gotta go on our own, make our own way. You know. Yeah, and then you've also got you know where you're gonna be. It's like okay, well, this season of this show is coming out now, so that means Telltale will probably have another game that's gonna be coming out for this season at some point. On this point, so I mean, they've, I mean, they've done that with The Walking Dead, where they had Walking Dead season four, Walking Dead season two uh, games from Telltale. So I love the fact that they're doing this, and I and I love the fact that we're you know finally discovering these games. Makes me want to go back and play some of the old ones now too. Exactly, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News. Become next, we're going to be talking to writer Zach Kaplan, of course, from Image Comics' Eclipse, which is going to be coming out next month. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy podcasts coming your way. This is Steven Wacker with Marvel Animation, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You know, Nick and I love stories that push boundaries and do stuff that's very unique. And, you know, you go to Image Comics for stuff like that. Usually there's a brand new series out called Eclipse. We just happen to have the writer from that series on this week, Zach Kaplan. Zach, how you doing, man? Hey, guys. How you guys doing? We're doing excellent. As a matter of fact, I was looking on your website, and you say that you love stories that question the nature of our society and culture, and I think Eclipse certainly does that. So talk about kind of how this idea came about. I, uh, I got really tired of getting sunburn, and I decided to stick it to the sun. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Mother Nature. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of you. Actually, it, it wasn't so much the heat. So a long time ago, I was a poker dealer. And I worked the night shift, a graveyard shift. And so I had to drive home at sunrise. I don't know if you guys have been out at sunrise when, like, no one is out. Oh, yeah. For the last 10 years of my life, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's eerie. It's really surreal to, like, drive a street or be in a neighborhood and just the sun is out because it's sunrise, but no one's out. And uh, that was kind of the, the kernel of it all. Oh yeah, and especially because you know, when we read the book, and it's a great book. One of the pages and- that one of the pages that jumped out at me, Zach, is the one that showcases the empty square during the daytime because it gives off that certain eerie feel. So, how much of that eeriness do you think 
is attributed in the book to the vulnerability of the buildings themselves compared to the size of the general area. Yeah, if you were just seeing a small street or something like that, it doesn't have the impact as seeing these large buildings. And then also, yeah, you're right, seeing buildings that have not been able to be properly maintained over time because we can't go outside, that's kind of frightening. It, it just kind of lets you know how dire the situation is. And and then I just think there's also, right, there's something, uh, the panel you're talking about is Times Square, and there's something really eerie about seeing Times Square dead and not seeing anybody in Times Square. I think all that plays into trying to, and that was kind of our goal, is to try to, it, right from the very beginning, kind of say just how, how dire the situation is. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, you know, our moods can be affected by a lot of things, and weather is definitely one of them, you know, seasonal affective disorder and stuff like that. So we kind of see that lack of daylight or the ability to experience that daylight kind of take its toll on the society itself as the series progresses. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys picked up on that. I mean, absolutely. We're all conditioned to go out in the sun. I mean, I think uh, especially nerdy guys like us, like <laughs> you, you live and breathe in your cave and you're, you know, you're consuming media and content and video games. And then sometimes you have to remind yourself to like, Hey, I need to get out. Uh, I need to like be outside during the day and uh, I should probably take a walker something so and i mean especially in today right you can door dash your lunch and uh just everything could you could you could stay inside so i mean yeah there there's definitely something about i feel our connection with sunlight and what it does to make us feel safe to make us feel happy and like what happens if you don't have that but i i think it's kind of an implied um undertone to the book that you know especially in the first issue it's very like implied you just kind of see that society underground kind of is bitter and disillusioned there's kind of like a seediness to it and crime and and so you kind of get a sense that things aren't going well but they're surviving and i think as the book continues you're going to get a chance to see more and more that kind of splintering of, of what happens when people don't get to go out into the sunlight well, that's going to be very, very awesome to see when the way you capture that. And Zach, as we all know in literature, normally when there's a major company involved, there's a bit of mystery to them that lurks in the shadows. What are the chances we get to see how Solarity Inc. came to be and how they'll play a bigger role as the series progresses? Yeah, you guys picked up on it. I mean, they are the the shadowy corporation that seems to be very influential and, and practically running the city, if not playing a huge hand of it. And, you know, that's just ripped right from kind of our feeling of big corporations nowadays of, uh, you know, the, the, the mega corporation that seems to watch us and run everything. They must not be up to, to they're up to no good. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely something that's going on in the book. You know, the, the premises that the, this, our hero backs is, a. Uh, is asked to help the CEO of Celerity, the guy who runs it, who's a, an old buddy of his. And of course, they start off with a, with a friendship in book one, but that friendship's going to get tested over the series because uh, you know things are not what they seem with Celerity. Absolutely. We're talking to writer Zach Kaplan from Eclipse. The number one issue is going to be available at your local shops and digitally on September the 7th. Now, speaking of businesses, Zach, if you were to live in a world without daylight, 
and you wanted to start your own business, what do what would you do that you feel would be unique? That is a good question. Gee, do you guys have do you have you thought about this one too? I've kind of thought a, about it. Yeah, I've given a little thought about it. I'm not sure though if it would work on on my part. I probably would have to do because we'd be underground, be in darkness. <sighs> God, I would have to do like a comic shop or a video game store. I know it might sound like a cop out, but I mean, if you're stuck inside for X amount of day, hours a day, you know, you can't go outside. It's the only things that come to my mind. I, I feel like that would be a, a prime business for this world. I mean, entertainment would definitely be uh, something people want because they need to get away. You know, one thing we put on a, a, a billboard in the uh, very first page of the book was nighttime beaches. And, uh, that was my idea. That, that was, was your idea? idea? Yep, yep, that was it. Yep. There, there's something about trying to find uh, something that we enjoy nowadays, but then like, if you couldn't go to the beach, would you go to the beach at night? And what would that be like? And, and so maybe opening up the nighttime beach and transporting people to, to go experiencing that. Or if it was underground, maybe it would be simulating that. Maybe it would be actually creating a, an underground pool with sand where people could... Uh, could simulate the experience of going to the beach. That's something that we um, we hint at at book one, and later on we actually see that that this city is starting to do it. They um, are actually building houses underground into the caverns. The very wealthy and the elite are actually trying to simulate the the concept of a residential street as much as they possibly can. And you know, I think what's what's cool about your question is. Um, what was very interesting to me was like, okay, so if this happens, let's just, you know, let's say people couldn't go outside, uh, the sunlight will burn you alive. Does that mean we would just adjust to the concept of living underground? Would we just, would we hide? Would we just accept it? So it's kind of an interesting, and I, you know, you opened that saying, I like to ask questions about like society and stuff. Like, I just think that, you know, like would all of us be comfortable just completely hiding and, caves and stuff like that it's yeah, interesting because, yeah because if like you work at night like you said and you're driving home during the day you you know in a weird way people always ask because i've done that and people have always asked me how do you do that and i say well you just kind of get used to it and you adapt and i think that that plays a lot into what you're saying yeah and in fact think about it for a second i don't know i don't know what your your uh daily lives are like but i've had days where i actually other than maybe getting into my car i don't actually go outside uh, I live in Los Angeles, so it's especially uh, car centric. And you know, I I could wake up, be in my house. Maybe I get in my car, I drive somewhere, I go into a building. I mean, other than walking to and from your car and buildings, if it was nighttime out, it would really make no difference. So, um, yeah, I, you know, we're it's kind of funny that we don't we like to think we have a connection to to daylight and the day, but sometimes we don't. And that's the thing too is like you mentioned, you know, I used to live in Los Angeles as well. So I mean, I know how very car centric it is, uh, especially on the 405. But I mean, like, like if we're all underground and everything's there, you know, the market's there, stores are there, you know, daily living is lived underground. Again, it's like, do we really need to go outside per se? And, and, and even though we are underground, does that count as outside, you know, because right. we're going to the markets or we're going to these things and trying to live a normal life. So in that of itself, it presents itself another ideal and another question. See? Yeah. And like, you know, they're also like, there's this new trend where pe- the developers like to build these mega complexes where like, 
you have the apartments up top, but then you have the the you know the marketplace, the, yep. the, yeah. the Trader Joe's, and there's the gym, and there's your Starbucks, and it's all kind of completely contained to the point that you would never even need to leave that complex. And uh, yeah, and then you know Amazon brings you your boxes. It just seems like more and more we disconnect to that, and um, so then this kind of idea is that, well, if the sun turned on us, I don't think human beings would actually have that hard a time just hiding inside, but that's depressing. Yeah. It is. Depressing. And, and eventually you're going to, you're going to know, you're going to start to realize I'm enclosed and that could mess you up. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I'm glad you guys, uh, can, can appreciate and understand all that. That was definitely a huge kind of, those kinds of questions were really what inspired me to kind of get into this book and, and, and look at the society and, and what would have happened. And I think the hero is a guy who's pissed off about all that because he is nostalgic for the way things are. And he, that's why he's even kind of taken this. So there's these, these jobs are kind of like maintenance men slash engineers. And these guys go outside during the day in these big clunky suits and they are able to withstand the sunlight for a very limited amount of time. And they help to kind of, maintain the infrastructure but he's living life like we live it now he wakes up and goes to work during the day you know i think he's kind of disillusioned and pissed off that society has adapted so much to this level of disconnection which i think probably stems from from my observations about you know how disconnected that that kind of those patterns can be oh exactly and here's a question for you zach what's worse being chased by the sun from Eclipse or being chased by the sun in Super Mario 3? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, listen, I mean, the thing about Eclipse is uh, the sun is just there. You can avoid it if you truly want to. Uh, so absolutely, the Super Mario 3 sun, I mean, that's a pissed off sun that actually uh, faces you down. That's <laughs> It literally tries to dive on top of you. Yeah, there's that. This that's a no-brainer. That's um, yeah, that's a given. You know, I think what like you know, uh, in talking about the danger of the sun, I mean, the sun is actually it, the sun in the world of eclipse can't be the only danger because it's avoidable, right? And so yeah. the other danger has to be uh, well, I mean, there's a killer that emerges, but I think there are even larger undertones of like it's your fellow man, and that's. That's kind of like the same thing as when you look at like a, 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 a comic book slash series like Walking Dead, right? Because like Walking Dead is like, sure, zombies are out to get you, but you can find some area and put some walls up. But it's really your fellow man that and the dark nature of humanity that kind of rears its ugly head and causes problems. And then when that's happening, there's a zombie that's going to tear off your arm. So I think it's kind of... It's similar. You got the sun that will burn you alive, and human beings could just hide underground, but obviously they're not always going to be able to do that, and and so then they're forced to confront the sun. Right, exactly. I mean, you talk about our fellow man. I mean, in the first issue, we see Bax kind of form that very un- uneasy partnership to catch that killer that is that is on the loose. So without spoiling anything, talk about how tense that relationship's going to get, not just with the, with the boss man there from Solari, like you said, but the actual group that's going out and hunting this killer. I think I can give a little bit away about the first issue. I mean, Bax is, is teamed up with um, this guy, Everly, who's uh, 
a cop, but in this in this world, the cops are kind of forced to collaborate with the corporations in order to get resources. And I think the dynamic I tried to look at between Bax and Everly is that Bax is a, is cynical and disillusioned, and Everly believes that there's a a way to get what he wants and and to do some good, and that's by compromising with um with celerity and maybe bending his own um his own morals a little bit. And so I think as those two guys start to work uh, alongside each other, Bax is not really going to appreciate Everly's willingness to compromise. I mean, Bax is one of these guys that it was interesting. I, I, I'll tell you guys a little bit about this. Uh, so his backstory just a little bit is that he was a firefighter. We find some of this out in the book when the, when this solar event happened, that's ruined the sun he was there to kind of defend his city and he paid the price for it. And I won't, I won't say too much to what happened, but you know, he's kind of got his demons because of it. So this is a guy that was very moral, tried to do the right thing and life hasn't turned out. So he's kind of a, a, a moral purist and he's, he's not really interested in compromising or he just would prefer to check out altogether because if he's going to do it, it's got to be done right. And so, um, they they they're definitely set up to have a lot of odds with each other, but I mean those are sometimes the best kinds of partnerships in terms of you know kind of classic uh, copper detective duos. Mm-hmm. And Zach, before I let you go, man, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, I'm uh I'm all over. I'm on Twitter at Zach Caps. Uh, I'm uh I got a a website for Eclipse. It's just EclipseComic.tumblr.com. I got a. a a WordPress at caps.com and uh, I'm on Facebook and uh, yeah, there'll be all sorts of stuff coming out about uh, Eclipse as we get going. And if anyone's interested in checking it out, um, pre-order it, call up your local comic book stores and um, tell them to get you a copy. I think there's one more week to go um, before the pre-orders are in. So uh, yeah. Absolutely. Mark it down on your phone, your tablet, whatever. September 7th is the day. Get in touch with your local shops. Of course, digitally is an option, too, to get yeah. Eclipse number one. We want you to throw off the blackout curtains, forget the SPF, get Eclipse number one because it's a great book. Zach Kaplan, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about hey, it. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Well, James, I can tell from experience, just from the conversation we had with Zach, that if we were to open up a sun tanning booth or even have a booth where we sold sunscreen, one would be beneficial, but the other one would just fall flat on its face. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you got to think it'd be like a Seven Eleven, right? They'd they'd have one right. in every corner because you've been underground for so long, and you know the temptation right. to get a tan's there, but then it'll burn your face off. So and it could be called Tan Eleven. Ah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Wow, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. But I mean, that's the cool thing is that you know we got to check out this brand new book from image comics called the clips and you know when you've got a brand new series coming out you never really know what to expect going in but when we saw the concept of you know the the sun and you know now we're being burned alive kind of thing it's like this is a cool cool concept i love that yeah man it was really really fun because again it's just the idea like i love how he said you know yeah i was walking around i got sunburned and he's like no you know it was just just the different ideas, and again, going underground, and that kind of concept of like, you know, we went on a little bit of that, that tangent with the whole going underground thing, but I mean, when you really look at it, like, think about this too, communication would be different, because like, you're underground, remember, we were underground at AwesomeCon DC, and we had yeah. terrible cell phone service, yeah, so exactly. can you imagine, like, 
Did you have to build a cell phone tower underground? You know how bad the wavelengths are and they can cause a lot of health problems if you live near them or work on them. And it's just, it's, it's a lot of different areas that, you know, and questions and problems they can build from this one thing, you know? A lot of anger comes from not being able to find a hot spot. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. That's, that's just the way it is, man. So. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, that just worked out perfectly. But seriously, oh. guys, go get Eclipse number one. Going to be out September the 7th from Image Comics. Get your local shops on it. Of course, you can get it digitally as well at imagecomics.com. Uh, final order cutoff. Still not here yet, so you've still got a chance to do that. Or just show up September 7th and be like, hey, do you have Eclipse? Why not? And get it. They'll order it for you. Don't worry about that. Exactly. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Don Neary Podcast. Again, thanks to Zach Kaplan for coming on talking about Eclipse. You gotta go get it when it comes out September seventh. Remember, there's a week left before the pre-orders are over with. So get make sure you pre-order yourself a copy. It's a great, great book. We had the honor and privilege, of course, reading it. And if you want more of us on social media, hey, Facebook.com slash Don Nerdy. We're also on Twitter at Don Nerdy757. I'm at Merck with one arm. The one is spelled out, Mr. Witham. I'm at James Ace Witham. And I also want to remind you when Zach was giving his social media, it's Kaplan with a K, K-A-P-L-A-N. So Zach Caps is with a K. So keep that in mind if you want to find him on Twitter. But you can find everything that goes on with us. At our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. As a matter of fact, we'll try I don't know if we'll have it available yet for a pre-order on our website, but we're going to try and put a link up there for Eclipse so you can pre-order it straight from our website. In this week's section, you can find out all the stuff we talked about, nerd news. I mean, you want to find out what we thought of Suicide Squad. We're going to have that in this week in Geek Tame. We'll have a link up there for the pre-order for that as well. All at downandnerdypodcast.com. And as always, press safe, comic greeting. Always bag on board your comics.